Thanks for hanging out with us here on Cheaper Than Therapy. We really appreciate you sharing your time with us. We mean it. We're so excited to announce that we're bringing back our now annual intensive retreat to kick off the new year. We call it From Self-Abandonment to Inner Belonging. It's going to be the first week in January, January 1st through the 6th in Carefree, Arizona at the most incredible location, Savannah Wellness Resort and Spa. Yeah. So during this week-long immersive experience, we're going to be supporting you in doing the work that we are most passionate about doing with our clients, but also with ourselves. This work is all about pattern interruption, taking a hard look at the ways that we've been living that aren't necessarily in alignment with our full potential. Some of the ways we've been societally conditioned to abandon ourselves as a way to maintain our relationships, no matter how unfulfilling. So tangibly, what that looks like is working to understand our codependent patterns, doing a deep dive into shadow work, what that is and how we can start to understand our own shadow, using the tools from our background in depth psychology to support you in living a life that feels like it's filled with meaning and moving into a more interdependent way of operating in all of our relationships. So if all of this sounds like work that you're feeling called to do in your own life, we would obviously absolutely love for you to join us in January. Head to the link in each of our Instagram bios, or you can go to Vanessa's website under retreats for some more information. And we just can't wait to kick off another New Year's together in Carefree. We back. <laughs> oh, I missed you. I missed um, recording this way with you, I guess I should say. Yeah, I mean, for people listening... It's not like today and I ever stopped talking about this stuff. It's just that we stopped recording it. Recording it to you. while we were talking. <laughs> I know, but you've been like on a little bit of a whirlwind um, with your book tour. So I feel like I still actually haven't been talking to you as much about all of the things we're normally talking about. This Good is to true. See you. This is true. Um, we decided that the hiatus slash end of season two would make sense to do it kind of run the book tour for those of you who don't know. I'm sure most of you do because I've been obnoxiously posting about it. Um, my book just came out. So <laughs> my first book <laughs> that I wrote with my baby daddy. Um, and it's been a few months of just like balls to the wall, two podcasts a day, traveling, New York. Um, mm. And you know, it's people always ask me like what it's like working with your partner. I mean, I think John and I work really well together. I also think that in the next like week or two, when things die down, I need to like go to the mountains by myself for a couple days. I need to be alone, (laughs) alone. Yeah. (laughs) Cause holy shit. It's a lot of together time. (laughs) I mean, it's really powerful to hear your extroverted behind say that. I'm like, wow, you need some alone, alone time. Well, I don't know if I actually need alone time or if I just need time away from him and from Logan. <laughs> a little less togetherness as a family. That's uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, But yeah, so I'm here. I just, you know, I'm, I'm in it still, but it's been, a, it's been a good month or so, but I miss you. Uh, I miss you too. Yeah. I don't think there's a mama and a person who's in a partnership that can't relate to that experience of just like when we've had a lot of a mesh time, like, and sometimes it is really healthy to have some sacred distance, right? Can you tell them that? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, I will. Hey, and also I'll be the first one to say it here. Um, I, don't know if I, t- I don't think I told you we have our first couple session with a new couple therapist on Wednesday. 
I'm so excited. I feel like because you guys are both therapists and I don't know, like, I'm just always like, well, what did you think of the therapist? What was their perspective? I know, like, right? It's like, this is what we geek out on, right? Like hearing how they feel about things. She usually has the first session with a new couple as a three hour session. Ooh. Yeah. Nice. And I was like, I'm like, uh, <laughs> this is like nah. I was like, I don't even know if I have enough to talk about for three hours. We were like, can we just say it'll be two and then we'll like go from there. So, um, but anyway, we have a two hour session on Wednesday, so we'll see. I'll, I'm, sure I'll be I'm sure I'll be reporting and digging into it <laughs> for everybody to hear. We'll do another follow-up episode after mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. Love it. Yeah. So, Tell me what's on your mind because we were talking a little bit. You just went to, you did a one day workshop this past weekend, um, which we're recording right now in October. And so October and beginning of November is really busy for Danae. You've got like a million workshops and retreats and I've got a big one in November. So it's quite the, it's quite the busy season. It is. It feels like things are picking up like post Mercury retrograde, like things are happening again. Right. But this was such a beautiful experience for me um, because it was all women. And I think, you know, it was a one day retreat, but I think there's just something happening. And as we are coming into October this year, 2022, um, you know, you hear astrologers talking about how there's all of this stuff happening with the rise of the feminine and you feel it in the collective and Obviously, Vanessa and I tend to look at things through the lens of like not what is happening with our clients on an individual level, but also like what it means in terms of what's happening collectively. And this year, there's just so many ways that you see what has been sort of, I feel weird saying like prophesized by astrologers, but what they said was going to happen um, in that like, there's like this real reckoning with this feminine energy, right? And how, you know, whether it's like our bodily autonomy or like Mm -hmm. the way that women are dressing and like all of these things coming to the surface for us to have um, this collective reckoning with the way that we have been suppressing the feminine within all of us for so long, right? And I think you and I were talking about this maybe even a couple months ago at this point, but I heard Terry Real say something that was so powerful to me. Terry Real is um, a psychotherapist for those of you who aren't familiar with his work. He's amazing and so mm-hmm. smart. Um, but he was saying that our society socializes men to outsource their emotions, their feelings, um, and socializes women to outsource their knowing their authority, their certainty, Mm -hmm. right? Say a little bit more about the idea of outsourcing. So, you know, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, how there's this feeling a lot of times that I will hear women describe um, that, like, well, let's start with men and how they sort of are conditioned to not feel their feelings, to push things down, like man up, be tough, don't like be all in your emotions, right? Mm -hmm. Um, To really sort of reject their internal feminine, And so what ends up happening is men really sort of like use and use is like a Mm -hmm. weird word, but we were talking about like harvesting the women in their life for like access to emotions. And like, Mm -hmm. I will give you, um, whatever I'm feeling emotionally versus sort of like holding space and allowing this within myself, because every Mm -hmm. part of me has been socialized to feel around a lot of shame around doing that. Right. This is all very unconscious for the most part. uh, Well, yes, for sure. Right. Especially Um, men. 
Yeah. And, but with women that like outsourcing of our knowing, I think like Glennon Doyle talks about this a little bit in her book, um, Untamed, where she talks about how she goes down into the basement to ask her kids, um, who wants snacks and they're Mm -hmm. all there with their friends and the group of boys don't even like look up from their video games. They're like, we want snacks, right? Like they just know, like their knowing is there. The group of girls all sort of look to each other. Like, are we having snacks? Are we hungry? She's like, why do you have to look to one another? to determine whether or not you are hungry, right? Or she talks about like when her marriage was sort of on the rocks, like Googling, like how do you know when it is okay to leave your husband, right? And um, this is how we are socialized as women. So I'm saying all this to say, I just did this retreat and with a really interesting juxtaposition because all of the women were either in a stage of life where they are older than me or they they were in a stage of life where they were much younger than me. Oh, and interesting. With the older women, yeah, it was fascinating to me. So the younger women were sort. Well, let me start with the older women. The older okay. women were in a space where they were saying, "I've realized that I've really sort of lost my voice at some point, mm-hmm. and I'm coming back into that. I have really lost my my sense of like, but what do I want? How does this feel for me? Um, what is true in my world versus like what everybody else needs, what everybody else thinks, what everybody else would think about what I think, right? Mm. And So that's sort of the internal reckoning I was listening to all of them having. The younger women are in a space where they are doing something very different than I think what we have been conditioned to do. They're saying a lot of these societal quote rules, they don't work for us. Like Mm -hmm. why? Why should it be a priority to have um, a partner, a man in my life? Um, Why should I say that, you know, sex is something that I want to have until it feels good for me? So it was fascinating. Like they're all in this movement of like reclaiming their wombs. Mm -hmm. So the modern feminist movement that we grew up with was like, you know, being a feminist means I can have sex with whoever I want and I can do it liberally. And that's like where my power lies. Well, Mm -hmm. that's really convenient for some of these structures for women to just be like, yeah, we're like all going crazy with having sex. But they were like, but if we treat our womb space like it is sacred and the only person that should have access to that is who I decide when I feel safe and when I feel tended to and when I feel really seen and acknowledged, like the way they were talking, I was like, if I had your wisdom when I was 20, holy moly. But they were just like, you know, this idea that like somehow it should be empowering to do something that when we actually sit with it, it actually makes us feel really disempowered to like give our bodies away to men that don't care about us. And we've decided like that's not something we actually have to do. And I thought it was fascinating because I think of how often like I'll talk to my friends that are lesbians in the midst of, um, you know, everything that's been happening with like our fight for bodily autonomy. And they're like, we just don't understand why don't y'all just stop having sex with men? Like, it's really a lot more simple than you guys are making it. And like, there's no risk for this to happen if we're not having sex kind of thing. But like, but you know, the reason like, you know, it just really took me back to this thing that um, Francis Weller talks about where he says that like, there was a time in collectivist societies where you just belonged like the entire community when a baby was born used to usher in this baby and mm-hmm. say um you belong with us and that was like the the given we have created a societal structure now where our entire like work within this lifetime is hustling for belonging we've basically mm-hmm. sort of weaponized belonging and so you will be along you will belong when you are powerful enough when you make enough money when you have a follower account that says you're enough right it's all sort of like we've weaponized attachment and this fundamental human need that we're terrified of being exiled. And for women, 
a lot of the like tariff, the fear around a lack of attachment came from there was a time when if women didn't have attachment, mm-hmm. they weren't safe. They could be exiled. They could yeah. be burned alive for being or called a witch. Or we would just witch. die because we couldn't afford to survive, right? Without somebody being attached to us. Exactly. So, so many of the things that we are conditioned to believe this is true, this is what we should want for our life. I believe we are coming into a space of it's the inner authority that is designing my life. It's not actually what is true for anybody else. It's not true for like what society says should be the structure of my home or my life or my sex life or whatever. It's Mm -hmm. like dropping into, but how does this actually feel for me? And can I give myself permission to do that? Even if it doesn't make sense to any other person on the planet, I know this is my truth. And that's the inner authority that we're moving from. And to me, that is the space of reclaiming of the feminine within us. You know what I mean? Ladies and gentlemen. What are you doing? What do you mean? I'm making Just keep it simple. I'm making the promo. Just keep it simple. Just say, hey, we're the Brav Bros. Two guys that talk about Bravo. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we're the Brav Bros. No. Oh. Dude, stop with the voice. Just keep it simple. I've seen promos on TV, dude. This is how you get the fans engaged. This is how you get listeners. We're trying to get listeners here. If we just say, oh, we're two dudes that talk about Bravo, people are going to get tired of it already. We need some oomph. All right, then fine. Let's try to do it with your voice. Brav Bros. Good job. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I would say since we talk all the time about how masculine and feminine dynamics and energies exist within all of us, right? Like we're not genderizing this. Mm-hmm. What would it look like or sound like or feel like, I suppose, for on the flip side of women reclaiming that for men to reclaim that? Yeah, I think it's, you know, to me, and this is really like, well, twofold. This is like the chapter that I'm writing in my book right now. So it's like so alive. And I was speaking about how just as much men are sort of conditioned to turn away from their intuition, their internal space of like how this feels for me, their knowing, right? And I was writing about like, you know, a client who really sort of like has come out of a marriage and was like, I always knew that this wasn't my person, mm-hmm. but every part of me felt like I don't get to know that. I don't get to say no to this. And it was just like my inability to trust myself. And it's so funny. I was sharing with the women at this retreat the other day that like I was listening to this podcast with a group of marriage therapists that are very famous and um, all of us know know and are sort of like the the baseline of like how we hold is like the standard of like Mm. marriage therapists, right? And I was like, God, I like really disagree with most of what they're saying. Actually, Mm. this is fascinating, right? And one of them was saying, um, when it comes to relationships, what we've found and what the research has shown is that normally people's intuition turns out to be wrong. And I was like, what? First of all, how do you, how do you, how do you study that? How do you quantify that? First of all, how do you quantify intuition? And (laughs) I love that. That's like your gut response because I have the same, like, first of all, that's a fascinating thing for a man to say to a bunch of women, but also like, that's fascinating. How do you know? And then he went on to say, and I found like, even with myself, 60% of the time, my hypothesis is wrong. And I was like, Oh, he doesn't, he's not speaking about intuition. He doesn't understand what intuition is. Hypothesis is your brain. Intuition is talking about science and logic and rational, right? 
Then right, right. I did a little bit further digging. And what I found is I was like, this is fascinating. Now I'm kind of curious to like mm-hmm. know more. The research that they've been based there, they've been basing all of these opinions about couples on is something that they do in couples' homes in Berkeley, California, um, with a very specific population. Because think about it, there's a very specific population that is going to invite psychological researchers into their home and have them like study them for a period of time. Berkeley is, let's, Let's be honest. That's a pretty, you know, affluent area. Thank you. So this well, is a didn't very used to specific... be, but it is now. Yeah, right. So it's a very specific part of the population that they're basing their research on. And you're saying, you know, what we found is that your intuition is a lot of times telling you things like um, he was like, you know, you you think that kindness is equating to like happiness in your marriage, and that's not necessarily the case. And I'm like, well, first of all, I don't think that's true, but also. I don't think people are going to be behaving the same way that they would with a psychological researcher sitting in their home observing them. Than they will. Like it's the same thing of why reality TV isn't real, right? And I was like, God, this is fascinating. So many of us have been as therapists basing like in terms of marriage therapy, like this is the gold standard. And I completely just, I'm like, what you Mm -hmm. guys are describing is hella codependent. But Mm -hmm. I realized so much of what we've been sort of holding up as the standard of what we should be striving for is that there is like a truth and there is a right way of doing things, Mm -hmm. which is a very patriarchal, Mm -hmm. wounded, masculine Masculine. standard of like an ownership template of Mm -hmm. what a marriage should be. But that makes sense when you think about what marriage was in terms of how it originated. It was based on ownership. It was based on like distribution mm-hmm. of land and I own you. And now like, and there's a, like, we've talked about this a lot recently. There's a very specific reason why we need women, especially to continue to buy into that as like, you know, the norm. if you're not the, thank you, the norm, if you're not doing this, then that means that there's something wrong. Do you know what I mean? Well, yeah, because if women in particular stop buying into it, which by the way, they have, they're starting to, the entire system crumbles, right? And with that, a lot of other systems crumble too. And systems that are keeping all of us, not just women, um, unhappy, um, but are keeping a certain select number of people at the top, fat and wealthy, right? And so, you know, this was, I don't think we actually talked about the pod because I think it happened in the interim when we weren't recording, but this reminds me of that kind of argument that John and I got into. Um, A few weeks ago, there was an article that was getting passed around kind of within the, you know, psychology community that a therapist wrote. It was a very short article and it was essentially a synopsis of a research study that had just come out, right? Um, And the title of the article was The Rise of the Lonely Single Men. Rise of Lonely Single Men, right? And so the article was a synopsis of a study that showed that 60% of the people on dating apps right now currently are men. Hmm. And then what they did was they followed... um, they, they took a bunch of women, they like looked at their profiles, they compared kind of what they said they were looking for. Um, and it was pretty consistent across the board, right? So it was like EQ, communication, vulnerability, like all of these very like felt-based, what I would say feminine, energetically feminine traits, right? Um, qualities. And then what they did was they took these women who went on first dates and then decided not to go on second dates and they kind of asked them like, why, right? And it was, became very apparent that it, because they felt pretty quickly that the men, because they were looking at hetero, heterosexuals, um, did not 
have those qualities, right? They did not have EQ. They did not have communication skills first or second date. Like it was early enough on where they could tell, but they hadn't gotten too far into the relationship. And so this, this research was showing that there is a skills gap and that's how Mm -hmm. this therapist kind of defined it. And I thought that was a really interesting kind of black and white way of saying it, but I thought a way that was very like, yeah, here it is. It's, it's a skills gap, right? It's not to necessarily blame men. It's just to say that we've had a period where women, I think especially, have been very hungry and have been breaking down these norms and have been looking inward and doing this kind of quote unquote work. Um, And it's not at the same rate. Like men have not been doing it at the same rate, right? And so now you have this skills gap where women have, again, potentially higher EQ, more connection with self, like all of these things. So I brought this, this, um, I saw a lot of therapists mm. talking about it and I brought it to my partner, to John and, um, he got, he got like a little, like his heckles kind of went up. He got a little miffed about it. And I was like, listen, mm. I'm just saying the research. And I said, what I think is interesting too, is there was research that was done not that long ago that was talking about how the happiest subset, the hop- happiest population right now, at least Western based is single women. Mm-hmm. And the least happiest base of people actually is like partnered women. That's right. And so anyway, he got upset. He was like, so basically you're saying that like women don't need men and men need women. And I was like, well, first of all, I'm just saying research. <laughs> I'm not giving an opinion on it. I, second of all, I think it's really interesting that you're getting upset. Like he was very mm. like offended by it. Right. And I said, and third of all, like kind of, yeah, like, and I'm not saying that from an emotional perspective. What I'm saying is that if you look at the history of partnerships, women did need men, right? We needed them to survive that black and white, right? Period. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, is that because we have societally, the way that we have, um, what's the word I'm thinking of? Like, I don't want to say created, but like the men that we are interacting with now, and this is not to say all men, clearly I'm I'm giving a generalization, um, still need women right? Like men live longer. This is another research point. Men live longer when they're partnered. Women actually live shorter when they're partnered. Like, because there's very, they're taking care of other people, right? Like we have actually harvesting. Yes. But we have socialized (laughs) men to need women to actually take care of them in a lot of ways, right? Not just the emotional ways, but even I look at generationally, right? I look at women who like, I mean, they pack their husband's lunch every day. And I'm not saying don't do that if that makes you happy. I actually like doing that. I show my love through like food, right? As an example. But just to give one kind of silly example, like I've seen people who are like my grandparents' age, right? Where like the woman dies first and the man doesn't know what to do with himself. Like he doesn't know how to do laundry. He doesn't know where anything in the house is. He doesn't know, you know. And again, I'm simplifying this idea of quote unquote needing the person. But what I think is happening, what we're seeing is not just as simple as like a skills gap. I think that kind of oversimplifies it. I think what we're seeing is like, bottom line, women don't quote unquote need men to survive anymore, which we should all be celebrating, by the way. And so they're not just getting into relationships because they need to, to survive. They're actually saying, no, I have these standards. I have these expectations. Are you going to add to my life? Are you going to make my life better? Because if you're not, I'm not interested because I'm happy. My life is great. Yeah. I think we need, I I think it's connected, I guess, is what I'm saying with your part of your conversation is like, I think this is all part of what we're witnessing 
happen in this idea of like the rise of the feminine, not necessarily women, but the feminine is like in all of us, in all of us, there is a, a desire, but also it's almost becoming survival based to start well, embracing some of these feminine qualities. Because if we look at that research and we were to say 60% of single men, right. Um, or, or people on dating apps are, are men. It's like, well, now it does become survival. For yeah, men, and it, would, it, it would be one thing if these models that we had in the past were actually creating a lot of fulfillment in couples, right. but they're not, they're not. right? And, <laughs> and you said something that's really important, which is this is so much of the way that we're socialized. And it's not that men aren't completely capable of totally. the connection and the emotional intelligence and all those things, but like- Girl, I say women all the and, time. I'm like, who's raising these men? Like, we can't just point fingers at men and say, fuck men, it's all no. their fault. We're raising them. <laughs> like, hello, well, it's we not just take that, responsibility. Though. It's not even just that though. It's like we socialize little girls to connect mm-hmm. with one another. We socialize little boys to stop talking to one another. Don't share your feelings, be right. a man, right? And so like we've been practicing this for a lifetime, mm-hmm. what we're asking men to go like, don't fly a jet, brother. Like, yeah. And they're like, I don't know how to fly a jet. I don't know how to talk about my emotions. Like it's there. It's just the invitation. Like we talk about this mm-hmm. all the time. The minute we sit men down for couples work, they're like, Woo, I've been waiting for this, but it's even individual to it. Right. I mean, I've said to you before, like my favorite clients are always like the men that come in that are hungry for this because it's just like, it's amazing. And, and so profound to witness the unfolding of, of a person who's never been given the space or the access or the language to suddenly get that space and that access and that language. And just to see the transformation, like, I mean, it's my favorite. Yeah. The only thing I would, you know, not even take issue with in that study, but I would sort of like make an addendum to, it's not that women don't need men. It's just that the level of dissatisfaction, I think that women are feeling in relationships, they're just not willing to do when it's not like when I, what is that, that, uh, I can't remember that movie, that Spike Lee movie, but I can do bad all by myself. It's literally like, why are these women able to right. like go back to school, get a doctorate, raise the kid by myself, all of these things. Like if I'm going to be doing the majority of this anyway, then I'll just do it anyway. Especially if I'm not feeling authentic connection here. But I think it's well, so when I say that- need, I say need as in like, we actually did at one point need men to survive. And that particular need is not necessarily there anymore. And I think that actually was kind of the, um, maybe the misunderstanding or the disconnect, whatever you want to call it, that, that got John upset when he was like, Oh, so you're saying that men need women, women don't need men. And I was like, well, no, that actually is what I'm saying. And I'm not saying like, I don't emotionally need connection. Of course I do. Right. We all do. I'm talking about need in the basic sense of survival. No, we no yeah. longer need them in that way. And we did for a very, very long, long time. And so that is actually a huge shift and a huge change that we can't dismiss, right? Like we can't look away from that. That is a big component to the how and the why of these relational changes is because, yeah, I do need you to step up because now to go back to what you were saying, like you need, I need you to add to me. I need you to give me this connection because otherwise like, I don't need you to eat. And and it's from, from a desire within you to like, like that is what partnership is. And if I think for so long, like what we've been calling partnership is an authentic partnership, right? Right. Like we've talked about, um, 
fair play, right? Like this Mm -hmm. film and book that are getting so much traction. And it's like the inner authority to me is that each person is is saying for themselves, what is a life that actually brings me fulfillment and how do I design Mm -hmm. that? And we're in like such an amazing time and space to be alive because we're actually able to end like demanding that our lives are that, right? It's so funny. Um, so my ex-husband and I are like, our kid just went to kindergarten and, you know, it's fascinating as they get a little bit older, all of a sudden, like there's a lot that is like asked of parents, right? Mm. Like any of you with like older kiddos, you're like, oh, this is like another full-time job. But it's fascinating the extent to which all of the stuff comes to the mother. 2022 mm-hmm. and all of the stuff still comes to the all mother. All the emails, and I, all the phone calls. And I got to give like big up props to my ex-husband because he took it upon himself to send an email without even talking to me about it, CC'd me on it and was like, you know, Cairo's mom is a therapist. She's very often in sessions with her phone on do not disturb. Please put me as your first contact and reach out to me first. And I was like, brother, like what? It was so beautiful, but it's Mm -hmm. like... There is no reason for society to be determining what roles need to be played. You know, like whoever is better at washing the laundry should be the person washing the laundry. You know, like I think there's so many ways that it's like this is the role in terms of gender that people should be playing. And it's like, like you said about making lunches, is that a role you want to play? If Mm -hmm. not, how do we negotiate that? How do we have Mm -hmm. conversations instead of looking to some externalized idea of what quote normal is, you know, I mean, how many times in couples therapy is someone saying, what is normal? Like how often should we be having sex? And I'm like, I'm sorry, is this somebody else's sex life other than yours? How often do you guys want to be having sex? Somebody out there is not determining what your sex life should be like, but that is how we've been operating for how long, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that that is, I mean, listen, this could get this would get a lot more existential, a lot bigger than this, this conversation when we talk about like, this is how we externalize so much. Like we could look to like, um, not to like bring it into politics, but like the person that was elected prior <laughs> to who we have right now, um, you can say Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there, there was a lot of like, especially depth psychology studies done around being a society that has been longing and hungry for, a a healthy masculine presence, right? A fatherhood Mm -hmm. presence, something that says safety and security and I've got you and all this. And so we externalize like this need to be parented. Like I need Mm -hmm. some kind of external security. And so somebody steps up who's actually very wounded masculine. And I would actually say also wounded feminine. Um, But it's like, we don't, first of all, we don't know the difference. Second of all, we're so hungry for somebody to just tell us what to do, tell us what to believe, tell us what to think, tell us what to say that we basically will wrap it all up in a bow and hand it to them and go, here you go. Cool. I choose you do it because you're saying you can, you should do it. And then we get ourselves into trouble. This is that like externalized knowing. Um, and we see it happen so frequently, like human beings. I do believe we do want, (laughs) I don't know if this is like a true innate thing, but there is something interesting around how often as humans, we want other people to tell us what to do, what is right, what is wrong, how do I, you know, um, because it happens obviously in therapy all the time. It happens in politics all the time. Um, that could be a whole other tangent, but I love but that's, that there's a connection on that. But that's wounded masculine energy. That's the patriarchal structure of right. our society. That there and is that is not knowing. just, 
Yeah. And that's to me, you know, and I will say Donald Trump, because I think that it's not, I think a lot of times we, we want to, and this is like those who were in opposition to Donald Trump want to say like, this is just crazy. This all began. No, it did not. This is very much the way that we have been structured as a society for so long. It's been coming for a long time. (laughs) Yeah. And I think what we talked about as depth psychologists was like, he was a demonstration of our collective shadow. And a lot of times when we are attempting to heal what has been out of alignment. The demonstration of it has to be so big that we're finally like, whoa, right? But I quite often am like things that he would say like, well, everybody's saying like, who are these everybody, right? But that's the same thing I was talking about with those psychotherapists earlier. Well, the research shows, well, what is the research? I'm curious Mm -hmm. to see a little bit more about that research. And when we dig a little deeper, is it true? Is it true of my life? Or is it that some externalized quote, expert has said, this is what's true of marriages. But like, to your point, that's, that's what we've been conditioned to do in a patriarchal structure is believe as long as someone outside of me says it's true, then I'm safe. Then mm-hmm. big bro- daddy's got me, right? Even if but, it feels wrong for me internally, I should even still Even if I'm feel- like dying yeah. inside. Yeah. yeah. But like the rise of the feminine is scary because the feminine is that thing that isn't structured, that you mm-hmm. can't name, that you don't, like you have to trust in your own wisdom. You have to like go to the source within you and say, no, I trust myself. You know, there may not be a roadmap for where I'm going and what our family is going to look like, but I'm not going to look to anyone outside of me. I'm going to trust in my ability to know for sure for myself, even if everybody else in the world doesn't agree. Mm-hmm. I agree with, with my truth. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I think it's all very fascinating to kind of stand back and look at. And I think that one of the beautiful things that depth psychology has given me is that well, I mean, it didn't give me, I kind of already had the curiosity, but I suppose it gave me the language for maybe the lenses through which to look at it. Um, constantly pulling back and seeing this as a bigger, like a bigger thing, more about the collective. Right. Um, and I will say that it, it's not to like minimize or take away from our suffering, but in a sense it does, it does Mm -hmm. minimize our personal suffering because I like jokingly will say like your problems aren't that unique meaning like you're not that special like we all suffer we're all part of this together and when you can look at it that way and you can say shit like this is a larger collective thing it doesn't necessarily minimize you what it does is i feel it almost empowers you because it makes you realize you are part of something larger than you um and it just gives perspective i think in a way that a lot of times more like behavioral based psychology doesn't do right it's like and there's a place for sure a time and a place for that we talk about this all the time right um but that is like a that's the bandit on the bullet hole right we got to survive we got to get the bleeding stopped fantastic but in order to actually heal the wound we've got to pull out and see this in more of a macro sense you know this is the conversation of the soul this is the conversation of the larger psyche um yeah anyway i could go on that tangent yeah yeah i think you're right and i think that if we look at suffering as this is what we came for and that that's a very like Mm. buddhist perspective but the idea that like you know carolyn mace is that how you say her last Mm -hmm. name often says that like we all want to feel like we're special and we Mm -hmm. believe suffering should happen for somebody but just not me not me and so it's like 
if we look at whatever suffering we're experiencing, whether it's on a collective level or an individual level as bringing us back into alignment, right? Mm -hmm. Like all of these elements of our shadow are happening to bring us back into alignment with our relationships, with the way we've been tending to our earth, all of these different things that are like, yeah, these are being shown to us because we've been really living out of alignment for a while. But the hope is that these things are being shown so that we can bring ourselves back and we can resist the suffering and say, oh no, there should be no suffering. It's like, well, who told you you were guaranteed a life with no suffering? That's actually not a part of what anyone was mm -hmm. promised. And I think that, to your point, is often my challenge with some of the more clinical models of psychology, mm -hmm. which sort of are like, no, we shouldn't, like, there should be no suffering. It's like, do no, this and it'll suffering? fix the suffering. <laughs> yeah. Take this like, pill, what does the suffering come the suffering. for? Yeah. Like, you right. are going to suffer. That's a part of the human experience. Mm -hmm. So when the suffering comes, ask it to sit down and teach you what you are meant to learn from it mm -hmm. versus like, let's just take something real quick so I don't have to feel anything uncomfortable ever because that's not supposed to happen to me, you know? Right. I think this would be a good time to let people know <laughs> that all of the shit that Danae and I dig into and pontificate on, um, <laughs> we have, I believe, eloquently, ever so eloquently, um, packaged up. We have been able to kind of package up a, a large portion of it uh, and put it into, you know, many of you have seen our weekend retreats that we do that we're not going to stop doing, by the way. Um, mm. But we have actually turned it into an amazing and really powerful week long immersive. And this is actually going to be the second year we're doing it. So we want to talk about it a little bit for those of you who have maybe our new followers, maybe who didn't catch it last year. Um, but this year, the first week of January, again, I think this is going to be kind of like the timeline that we do it from now on because it felt really powerful energetically. We're going to be doing another intensive series that we call From Self-Abandonment to Inner Belonging. Mm. And it is really... Oh man, I, I, I can't use the word powerful enough. It's almost like ad nauseum, I'll continue to use it because we knew we had something when we went in last year, yeah. but holy shit, coming out of that week, I mean, it was, mm. it was palpable. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we sold out last year and, and we were a little nervous going in and we realized like, wow, it was, it was the perfect number of people. Um, but why don't you, you know, today, what about, what about your parts? And then I guess I can talk about my parts a little bit, like what people would be able to expect. Yeah. I mean, I think everything is so synchronistic in the way that it mm -hmm. unfolds. And I, I think what we are experiencing collectively is so in alignment with what we are all going through on an individual level. And that was certainly the case with what we found um, with the retreat. It's like, oh, of course, this is what we feel called to speak to because this is what is happening with our clients and within our own lives. And, and everybody is sort of going through something at the same time. And I think what we've realized is we're all in this space of doing this internal reckoning around mm -hmm. belonging, attachment, um, you know, like dependency or codependency versus like interdependence and, and how we are sort of realizing that we're in a moment where how do we come into a space where I am in my own sacred sovereignty, where I get to be a self, but also get to be in intimate relationship with one another. Right. And so, you know, for my part of the retreat, I think, um, we talk about things from the level of like who we are beyond what we have been taught to believe we are, that we are not just these bodies, that we did not just come here to accumulate stuff and, you know, um, followers and, you know, like whatever the things are that like demonstrate success in our current mm -hmm. society, right? Um, 
when we leave these bodies, um, like at the end of our lives, what will matter? And that is our connection. That is certainly our connection to our feminine. That is our connection to um, something bigger than ourselves. But really the fact that we feel like we have some sort of an impact and that we are connected to those around us, right? So I think we talk about that in the context of like meaning. And that's something that mm-hmm. very much meaning comes making. from our depth psychology background is that we don't just sort of like, you know, psychology isn't to fix you somehow because you're broken. We don't believe that you're broken. Like all of these things that we've experienced throughout our lives have been, um, helping us come back to our awareness that we are a whole. We've always been whole, but that, you know, maybe we've been conditioned to believe that we weren't for very specific reasons. <laughs> but mm-hmm. um, so it's just like a long way of saying, like, how do we start to make meaning of the things that we've come through that we're moving through and how do we come back into the space of inner belonging, which is an authentic self. And as we've been talking about this whole time, which is like the inner authority that I look mm-hmm. to, that I draw from my, like my own innate wisdom versus feeling like I need something outside of myself because I want to have an attachment, but that mm-hmm. isn't necessarily like really a secure attachment. It's an attachment based on being afraid of exile, Fear. being afraid of left, being left. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think the thing that Danae and I, again, if I do say so myself, so beautifully do, (laughs) um, is I do tend to live in the space of, you know, is tangibility? Yeah. Tangibility. I was going to say tangibleness, tangibility, (laughs) tangibility. I'm like, like, what's that word? Um, (laughs) That feels right. Yeah. (laughs) It feels right. I'm going to go with it. Uh, And so I do like to pepper in, you know, there is some structure and there is like, let's understand what these specific terms mean. Let's unpack some of these very specific unhealthy behavior patterns, right? Because I was saying about behavioral earlier, behavioral work is still very, very important. So we do get in and we uncover a lot of these like limiting beliefs why they're there, right? That's important. But also like, now what do we do with them? You know? And so we will talk about tangible ways to actually kind of not just dissect them, but like, how do you move forward when you leave the retreat? How do you move forward back into your life with real tools to start changing behavior, to start changing patterns for the better? Right. Um, and so Obviously, those of you who know me know that I talk codependency constantly. You know, we get into a lot of these codependent ways of being. Um, we talk about, but then it's today and I. So we go into archetypes and we talk a lot about, you know, the archetype of you and understanding that self. We also talk about, a lot about intuition and and actually the, the skill that is required, especially for those of us who grew up in this world that we did grow up in, um, the skill that is actually required to get in and excavate it and hear it and understand it because it's a muscle and that muscle is atrophied Mm. for most of us. Um, and it takes work and understanding to actually get back into a place where you can hear it and then not just hear it, but act on it, even if the acting is scary. Um, so I just wanted to kind of end this conversation with putting, putting it out there, right? Like this is what we're bringing this is what we're putting back out to the world in January again. We're really excited. There's a reason we're doing it two times now and hopefully continuing it for however long. Um, like I said, it did sell out last year. It was a amazingly powerful group of people and it's going to be in Arizona. So it's mm-hmm. in an amazing place called Carefree Arizona at this awesome retreat, Savannah. Um, both today and I have the information on our links in our Instagram bios. You can link to it through my website. 
but we hope you join us and feel free to email me if you have questions or Danae. Uh, we also have payment plans available. So we're trying to make it as accessible as we can. Um, so yeah, you can email me and ask me about that. Yeah. I love, I love how much, um, just the impact that I feel like this time had on everyone who was there. Mm. I and feel like a lot of people have already, yeah, but have already signed up and are coming back for a second year. And we're like, you guys, it's like the same location and they're, they're coming back. And that to me speaks to just how potent the experience was, um, because it's just like such deep inner work that you know, regardless of having the same conversations, you go inward and you really do this work. And to your point, I think it is like, we do need both the, the ego and the soul, the, the masculine and the feminine. And I think what's really beautiful about the way that we work is that we, we integrate those two things, which is the, the hope that all of us are able to integrate those aspects mm -hmm. within ourselves, right? I understand myself on a soul level. I'm able to tap into my intuition and my knowing and my healthy feminine, but then mm -hmm. what do I do with that? How do I move into action? How do I move into that structured way of living and, you know, making sense of it in terms of my, my healthy masculine, right? So it always comes back <laughs> to mm. that, which makes me so happy. Well, I'll speak for Danae when I say we appreciate all of you and we're happy mm. to be back for a third season. And we hope obviously that some of you will join us in January, but if not, we'll continue to bend your ear every week. So this coming season, you can expect more amazing interviews, um, you know, and just continue to grow with us and, and evolve with us and challenge the norms and ask the hard questions. And we hope that you'll continue to show up and have those dialogues of not only with us, but also with people around you. Yes, absolutely. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to share it with a friend, give us a five-star review and subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you want to connect with us further, you can find us on Instagram at Cheaper Than Therapy, the podcast, or YouTube at Cheaper Than Therapy with Vanessa and Danae.